I want to know the truth. This world offers me more confusion than answers. What does it mean to live in truth and follow Jesus? Who is he calling us to be? He has given us his word to find exactly what we are looking for. He is what we need. Lord, I pray that you would guide us now as we open up your word. I pray that every heart in this room, I pray that every heart watching online, I pray that we would be attuned to the Holy Spirit, that we would be totally open for what you want to teach us today and what you want to share with us. And so we give you praise, we give you glory, that you're, you're an awesome God. And so we lean into you, and I ask you to minister through me. I humble myself before you. Thank you for the privilege of being able to, to share your truth. I pray, Father, that I would be a, a trustworthy vessel for you to, to speak to and through today. I pray that every heart would be open as we deal with what could be a sensitive topic. In Christ's name, amen. We've been in a series, this is our seventh week, that we've titled, What Is? And we've laid out what is truth. We dove into what is a man, what is a woman, what is God's design for marriage. We've looked at what is God's design for parenting. Today I want to wrap up this series with this question. What is a godly response to all the cultural chaos that we see around us today? And specifically, I'm going to dive into a few areas with you. The truth is, the discussion about homosexuality, LGBTQ, and they've added more letters to it. I don't know what all they are. There's, one of, there, there's some of the 26 that we have in the alphabet. I know that. But when you get into these conversations, they can be very controversial, and they can lead to some heated debates. And you will hear all these differing views, be it liberal or conservative, and media often gravitates toward the extremes and their presentation that solve nothing and end up leading to more rage. So listen, we've established in this series that we believe that the Bible is God's word. We believe that the Bible is truth. We believe it is inspired by God. We believe that it is absolute. It contains objective clarity from God. Objective truth literally means it's true for all people of all places of all times. We believe the gospel. We teach the gospel of Christ here. We believe the gospel is good news. We believe that anyone that repents from sin and turns to Christ only for salvation, can experience true freedom and transformation of life. We believe that. We believe the Scripture teaches that. Now, that being said, everyone is entitled to their own opinions, but you're not entitled to your own facts and truth. People are entitled to their own opinions, but you're not entitled to your own facts and truth because truth, again, is not subjective. Augustine said this, we love the truth when it enlightens us, but we hate it when it convicts us. We love the truth when it enlightens us or caters to the way we want to do life, but we really hate it when it starts to convict us. 
So what is truth? What is God's design? Here's something I know based on study of Scripture, study of the life of Jesus, my master. Jesus led with compassion, with clarity, with grace, with truth, with incredible love. That's how Jesus led. Religious leaders even of that day and even religion today will oftentimes lead with criticism and condemnation and harshness. That was part of my introduction even to this whole church world. It was 1611, King James only. You were beat up and beat down if your hair was not cut a certain way, if you didn't listen to the right music, whatever. So our heart here at the Cross Loganville is not to cause some heated debate, but it is to shine light on these current issues that can be troubling to some people and to hopefully speak truth in love with grace and clarity with much compassion to point you to the Savior. We've established out of the gate in Genesis that God created all things good. God created all things good for us to enjoy for his glory, for his glory. Genesis chapter 2, as we've looked at it, we look at God's design in regards to intentionally male, intentionally female, God's design for marriage, God's design for life. We find it right out of the gate in the early pages of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, we establish this, that sin enters into the equation. It disrupts humanity at every level. Everything we read from Genesis chapter 3 forward, it's messy. Tremendously messy. Larry Crabb, I had the opportunity to be at Grace College when Larry Crabb was teaching his counseling curriculum years ago. Incredible, incredible brother who passed away a few years ago, but he wrote books like Inside Out, The Silence of Adam, Soul Talk. Many of these things I read. He was a mentor to a guy by the name of Dan Allender and others. Crabb was a very, very special man in my life, but Larry Crabb said this, the Bible is a love story that begins with a divorce. Everything from Genesis chapter 3 through the end of Revelation is the story of a betrayed lover, that being God, wooing us back into his arms so that we can enjoy true love, true family, and true fellowship. Everything from Genesis 3, the lover, God himself, pursuing us, wooing us. Why? Because man fell into sin willfully turned his back on God, and God is like, I've been trying to chase after your heart. Sin, Matt, shattered the natural order of God's design. It shattered it, and as a result, we see selfishness enter, wickedness, evil, and all sorts of sinful behavior enter into humanity. Genesis 2.16, God told man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. If you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die. God in his kindness and grace extends freedom to man, and man abused his freedom. Man went against God's design, went with his desires, and sin hijacked humanity. So we're all born into the world spiritually dead. 
It's called the Adamic nature because of Adam's sin. Wherefore, by one man's sin, death entered into the world. Death spread to all men. All have sinned. We come from the seed of Adam. And the Adamic nature that we're born with, based on even Ephesians chapter 2, says that we were born into the world dead. Dead, Jeff, in our sins and our trespasses. Sin. It hijacked humanity. We're born spiritually dead. Soulistically, our soul our thinking, our emotions, our will, etc., were born into the world depraved and damaged. So all of us, when we're born into the world, spiritually, there's a hole in our soul that only God can fill. We're spiritually dead, but our soul is damaged and depraved, and we gravitate toward a lot of crazy things, right? And as a result of this, humanity now has tension vertically and horizontally, and we have all this conflict and struggles because we're born into this world at war with God. That's how we're born. Now, it's interesting. It's interesting. I was basically told this as my intro to church. I didn't know what truth was. I didn't know what to believe and what not to believe, but these people that had read the book and we're in positions of power. I'm like, I, I need to listen to him. I was told this right out of the gate. Come to Jesus and everything will be fine. Come to Jesus and he will save you and he will fix you. So I came to Christ and cried out to the Lord. I want you to save me. I want you to fix me. But for some odd reason, I continue to struggle. I continued to struggle even though I had asked Christ to save me. I still had these flesh patterns that had been developed over a period of time in my life that needed to be dealt with. But I thought, man, as soon as I come to Christ, man, I'm going to get like this spiritual like boost, this immunization, and I'm going to be trouble-free, man. Jesus is going to fix me. Didn't happen. The Holy Spirit was working on me and pointing out things in my life, and he was like, hey, I'm at work both to will and to act according to the Father's good pleasure, but you've got some flesh patterns that have got to be crucified and, and dealt with. And for me, early on in my faith journey, and this might be you, I began to ask questions like, am I really saved? Why do I continue to have these crazy thoughts? Why am I being blasted at times with all these temptations? If, if I'm really saved, and I'm not... Why do I struggle with this? I thought I would be fixed by now. And my major battles, Mama Kay, were sexual lust. Struggle with that. Foul, messed up language. Struggle with that. Alcohol, pride. And I fell into this trap of trying to avoid sin or manage my sin. I'm like, if God's really going to like me and be pleased with me, then I fell into this sin management trap. Oh, I'll manage my sin and God will really love me. And the longer I walk with the Lord, he said, stop. I've saved you so that you can yield to me and surrender to me. And you can really walk with me. But you trying to work on you didn't save you in the first place, and you trying to fix you is still not going to work. The problem is I change people from the inside out, not the outside in. And I went down that trail for a long period of time. 
Like, I've asked Christ to save me, but I'm like, God, I'm going to give you my, my, my foul mouth. And I'm, I know that getting hammered is not right. And I'm like, here, you can have this beer or whatever. And God goes, Tim, if I get your heart, I get what's in your mouth. And if I get your heart, I get what your eyes look at. And if I get your heart, I get what you put in your hand. I want to change you from the inside out. Quit trying. Quit trying and start trusting. And I'm like, ah. So here's a premise statement for you. God the creator created us to have intimate communion with him and for each and every one of us to find our worth, our value, our security, our significance only in him. That's the premise. God, why did you make humanity? So that all humanity would have an intimate relationship with me. Now, back to what I said earlier, sin disrupted and fractured humanity at every level. It wreaked havoc on God's natural design, if you will, and order. And the result is we're born into this world and we see birth defects and we see handicaps and we see diseases and we see death and we see divorce and we see a lifetime of suffering. That's what we're born into. And some of us, you go, yeah, that, 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 that's what I see. The, the world is saturated. Look around you with chaos and corruption. We, all of us, if we've got our eyes open at any level, we conclude something is wrong. What's wrong? Well, the problem is for humanity, we try to get our needs met apart from Christ, and we think that we still can come up with the right solutions and strategies and agenda and make it work and it doesn't listen i'm gonna read something to you please listen so many christians today are caving in to the worldly pressure to embrace a false gospel of self-fulfillment this includes twisted sexual desires and assuming an identity that is destructive. This is seductive and enticing because it promotes the idea that I can follow Jesus, but I do not have to deny myself. The thinking is I can follow Jesus on my own terms and still do and have whatever I want to have. That is a fallacious message that some are teaching and many are embracing today. The truth is, the lordship of Jesus Christ confronts us to die to ourselves daily and to fully surrender to him. That's the truth. If we're truly born again into God's family, it implies that God in his kindness has given me a new nature. If anyone is in Christ, he's new. The old is gone. So the very nature that I have is new. Flesh patterns must be crucified. If I do not discover who I am in Christ, I will go back and try to uncover who I was apart from Christ. My flesh loves to gravitate toward the familiar. I've given you a new nature, but it takes a little bit of time for this new nature to become natural to me because I still, Matt, I'm still living in this fallen world. And God goes, now stop, stop. You don't have to think natural. You can think supernatural because I'm at work in you. I want to bring about a change in you. And it, it's a result of this new nature 
that allows me then to follow and obey the teachings of my Savior and Lord, Jesus. Belonging to God means complete devotion to him. It does not imply that I can have these private hidden areas that I block off and rope off going, you can have this over here, but you're not going to have this. Becoming a child of God means you get all of me. I don't have anything roped off and hidden. Carl Truman in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, listen to what he said. Many cultural norms concerning sex and acceptable sexual behavior have been swept away. The Christian view of gender and marriage is being rejected today as being oppressive and damaging. The truth is to reject God affects and infects a society at the deepest possible level. This is the root cause of the catastrophic changes that we are witnessing. That's what you will hear. The Christian view of gender and marriage, it's oppressing, it's damaging, it's destructive. It's not, it's protection. We believe that the core of any healthy culture is the family unit that is made up intentionally male and female. You go against God's design. And what is going to happen? You're going to see all this chaos and confusion. We believe that in order for a culture to flourish, we've got to get back to God's truth and God's design. As I've established with you over the weeks, how did we get here? And again, it goes from question God back to Genesis 3, ignore God, reject God, eliminate God. You become your own small G God. You get to call the shot. So if we can question, ignore, reject, and eliminate, you get to do whatever you want to do. One of my favorite writers is a guy by the name of G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton makes this observation. He was a Catholic guy, a British journalist at the turn of the 19, uh, 1900s, but he made this observation. He said, every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Do what? Every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God? Yes, because he believes that what is on the other side of the door is going to bring him some type of worth and some type of value and some type of completion and validation. The problem is, as a culture, we have continued to knock on the wrong doors for too long. We've knocked on the doors of hedonistic, twisted sexual pleasure. We've knocked on the doors of acquiring and accumulating all this earthly wealth. We've knocked on all these doors thinking that if I can just get in there and climb that ladder, I'll be successful. The problem is we haven't come to the door, the gate, Jesus. We've knocked on the wrong doors. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18 says, their minds, they Talking about their minds, we're talking about the alienated, separated from Christ. Ephesians 1 through 3, who we are in Christ. 
By the time we get to chapter 4, Paul starts to make contrast, if you will, and he's now making a contrast between the saved and the unsaved, basically. And he goes, their minds, the lost, they're full of darkness. They're excluded from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, they've become callous. They've given themselves over to sensuality. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of of impurity. What is a lost man's state apart from God? His mind is depraved. It's flooded with darkness, ignorance. The heart becomes so calloused, and there's no sensitivity to God. There's no sensitivity to biblical truth. What happens? They start to fill their lives, this void in their life and in their heart with sensuality, which is nothing more than lustful pleasure and impurity. Is that the culture in which we find ourselves living? It's dark. It's it's defeating. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. What are they doing with truth? They're suppressing. Question, ignore, reject, eliminate. Suppress it. They're suppressing the truth. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. Within them. Yes, God made man a triune being. Father, Son, and Spirit. Man is spirit, soul, and body. The very genes and DNA inside of us, God goes, I've even made who I am evident inside of humanity. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what, was, what has been made, so that all people are without excuse. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. As far back as we read, God says, I have revealed who I am. I have disclosed who I am. I have laid out who I am. The heavens, the stars, the moon, the sky, the creation. There's a God. Look at you. You are an image bearer. You are made in the image of God. God has clearly revealed himself. God has made himself totally known. There is a God who occupies the throne in heaven, who sits above all. And he goes, stop, you're without excuse. The reason you don't lean toward me is you suppress the truth and you you don't want me. You're suppressing the truth. It's not that I am a... A distant God who's not willing to reveal truth, I do. You just suppress it. He goes on to say, verse 21, even though they knew God, they knew him. There's a God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculation, assumptions, and their heart became foolish. It was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of God They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God, the pure God, for an image in the form of corruptible man. They exchanged 
People make a willful choice. Here's, here's God. Here's truth. God, I don't want that. I'm going to exchange that for what I want. I want hedonistic pleasure. I want momentary just satisfaction. I, I want the thrill of the moment. But people know that there's a God. Yes, people know that there's a God. But people refuse to honor God because they want to fulfill their own desires. It doesn't matter if it's sex, alcohol, drugs, whatever their pursuit. We know, it's like, that's not right. When we start entering into the practice of sin, man, that ain't right. And after a period of time, we become so hard, so dark, so callous that we exchange. Fallen man. Like, I, I want to worship what you've created, and I want to enjoy what you've created, and I'm going to twist it and pervert it, but I'm not worshiping you. And God goes, it's futile, it's foolish. You, you're, you're becoming a fool. And that's the culture where we misuse and abuse what God has created. We live in a culture of the perversion of that which is good. God goes, let me tell you how I designed it. Verse 24, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies, their bodies would be dishonored among them. It starts in the heart and then it manifests through our bodies. That person who is spiritually dead and solistically depraved, the conclusion is, oh, I don't want you, God. I want pleasure. And God gave them over. God gave them over. That phrase is repeated three times in Romans 1. It literally means that God basically is saying, okay, go suffer the consequences for rebelling against me. God gave them over. Go suffer the consequences for rebelling against me. Let me say this. If you can sin and you don't feel convicted, you need to question your salvation. It is impossible for a child of God who has a new nature, who is claiming, hey, heaven's my home. You can't claim heaven is your home and live like hell today. If you're willfully living in sin, you're like, well, I, I don't even feel convicted about it. You don't, you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. You don't. And you got to get that right. Verse 25, for they exchanged, here's another exchange. Again, man's got choice. Back to Genesis 2, you got freedom. They exchanged the truth for a lie. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, read it again, God gave them over to degrading Passions. The word degrading passions means it's vile, it's dishonoring, it's shameful, it's infected, it's diseased. I'm giving them over. And he goes on to say this. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. Women gave up being with men for being with women in the same way the men abandoned the natural function of being with a woman and burned in their desire for one another they're committing indecent acts, which means obscene, wicked. And then he goes on to say this, and they're receiving in their body the due penalty of their error. All right, 
this is not controversial. This is biblical truth. What culture and society is presenting to us in so many areas is controversial and corrupt. God's design is not corrupt. God has laid this out not to create a heated debate, but to shine light down on current issues even as of today to bring clarity with compassion, with grace, and truth. Sinful man, sinful man apart from Christ, has embraced the lie rather than truth. Homosexuality is a sin. That's what it is. Alcoholism is a sin. Gossip is sin. Bitterness is sin. Viewing porn is a sin. Adultery is sin. Fornication, sin. Greed, sin. What did Jesus die for? Sin. God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The Savior can transform any repentant heart that comes to him for salvation. What did you die for, Christ? I died for sin. I died for lying, stealing, fornication, homosexuality, alcoholism. How do we, how do we tap into that? You, you've got to repent. You, you, you've got to turn from sin, and you've got to turn to me. You believe any? We, we, we believe any person can experience radical transformation. Jackie Hill Perry, in her book, Gay Girl, Good God, the story of who I was and who God has always been. You get a chance to listen to some of Jackie Hill Perry's spoken words. A girl that was living in the lesbian lifestyle for a while. Her book, Gay Girl, Good God, listen to what she said. I know now what I didn't know then. God was not calling me to be straight. He was calling me to himself. The choice is to lay aside sin and take hold of his holiness. In me becoming holy as he is holy, I would not be miraculously made into a woman that didn't like women. I'd be made into a woman that loved God more than anything. I was able to want God because the Holy Spirit was after my affections just as much as he was after my obedience. She goes on to say, the body doesn't have to have the final say in our lives. Apparently, this body was never mine in the first place. It was given to me from somebody for somebody. When the Holy Spirit made his home within me, he snatched the blinds down and let the light in. Not only could I see God and his glory with a smile on his face, but I could also see sin for the liar that it was. Come on. Whether it's living in a homosexual, lesbian lifestyle, whether it's living in addiction, whether it's living a hedonistic lifestyle, whatever. I like what she said. I love it. God was not calling me just to be straight. God was not calling me just to be sober. God was not. 
He was calling me to himself. Come to me. I'll show you great mighty things you don't even know. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what I have in store for those who truly love me. I'm, I, I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything you can ask or think. Come to me. But in our fallen state, because sin hijacked us, we're all born, in, we're born into this world longing for some type of identity. And so all humanity, apart from Christ, we, su- we, we, we gravitate toward the ABCs, if you will. And the ABCs is this, A, where can I find acceptance and some type of affirmation? How do I have to behave so that I can belong somewhere? Where can I find some connectivity and community? And for so many people, the longing deep down inside to feel accepted, to feel like they belong, to feel like they have some connection and community, it leads us to assume a lot of false identities that God never intended for us to walk in. How did you get into that false identity? Well, I just wanted to belong somewhere. I I wanted to fit in. I wanted somebody to like me, to notice me. Tim Keller. Tim Keller said, to be loved but not known, it's comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved, oh, that's our greatest fear. Our true heart longs to be known and loved in Christ, which is transformational love. If I am truly known, my greatest fear is I'm going to be not loved. And no, 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 the gospel says, come to me, all of you who are tired and weary and heavy laden. It doesn't matter where you're at and what you're going through, come to me. And that repentant heart who truly repents from sin and says, Jesus, save me. It doesn't matter how dark your past has been. It doesn't matter how vile your life has been. The gospel of Jesus Christ can radically save you, transform you, and give you a future and a hope. Man, deep down inside, we're longing for God but we're knocking on the wrong doors. 1 Corinthians 6 says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither, ooh, he's about to drop a list on us. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Did you read that? Homosexuality is one of many. It's not the only one mentioned here. But for so many people that have had church affiliation and for so many that claim to be following Christ, for some odd reason, we assign this higher degree of sinfulness to homosexuality than we do our own sin that separated us from God. And we start to rank sin. So we'll look. Mm, Yeah, that one up there is is definitely a nine and a half. But you gossip, you do, but it's like a 1.5. It's not that heavy. 
but you steal from God. You don't tithe. Yeah, yeah, that's a one. That's not that big of a deal. And we start putting these thinking numbers on these things. And what we oftentimes do is we love to attack what we feel less likely that we would participate in. We love to attack what we don't think we would do. I give my sin a lower grade, brother. It ain't that bad. Really? How's that working for you? How is that working? You quenching the Holy Spirit continually, but yet you've ranked yours over here. What Jesus did you pray and ask to come into your life? The Jesus I prayed and asked to take over my life didn't come to take part. He came to take over. He didn't say he was cool with being a resident. He said he would be president or he wouldn't have a part of my show. I'm like, oh, there you go. Dennis Jernigan, he's done a lot of worship and he speaks all over. He struggled with same-sex attraction himself. Dennis Jernigan made this statement, and I love it. He said, every human being that has ever existed struggles with lies about our self-perception that leads us to intense self-focus. Personality differences, the way we were nurtured or not nurtured, that can determine the path that our own sin will lead us down. Reality is, none of us are really that different than the next person. When we look at humanity, what we conclude is, ah, oh, you're the same kind of different as me. It doesn't matter if you're black, if you're brown, if you're white. It doesn't matter where you come from geographically. When we start to deal with humanity, ever how you lived out, you send stuff. When we really get to the heart going, oh, you were trying to get your needs met apart from God. You were knocking on the wrong doors too. So was I. And because, and because of these struggles that I had and lies about my own self-perception about who I was, it led me down some trippy trails. But so did you. And when we sit down with a person and we conclude that the truest thing about that person, Vic, is that they're loved by God, period. Truest thing about you, you're loved by God. Now, you may think that the truest thing about you is the sin that you've participated in. It's not the truest thing about you. There was a guy that attended here years ago, I'll never forget. He attended for a few weeks and he's like, yeah, brother. Wait until I sit down and share my story with you. I said, like, you got it. Still edgy, still prideful. I could tell. So I'm like, we'll grab some time. We sat down and I said, all right, before we get into your story, before we get into you telling me your story, if you've got anything you want to tell me about where you've been in your sin that is outside of the realm of sex, alcohol, and drugs, go for it. 
No, 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 no. You do not have permission to tell me how sexually active you were, how you could drink people under the table, how you used to get high. If you've got anything in your lost story that does not include sex, alcohol, and drugs, this wait until I tell you my story, then go for it. This is no lie. Dude, he's my size, 40 years old, yeah. No, 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 dude, everything I was going to say was going to be pretty much include that. So what you thought is you're going to sit down with me and tell me what a bad boy you've been. No, no, no. If you sat down with me, I'm going to tell you what a good God I serve. And I'm going to tell you that your darkness does not equate to having a better story. What makes any story great is not how dark their story was, but it's how bright the light is of Christ that they came to. People will say, man, the darker the night, the brighter the light. The brighter the light, the brighter the light. It don't matter how dark you might think your story is. When the radiant brightness of Christ comes in, tell me your story. I met the Lord. All right, I'm going to wrap it. Y'all with me? With it? Here's what I would say, and then I want to move into a time of prayer. The Savior can radically transform and change a true repentant heart that's willing to drop their pride, their arrogance, their sin, and go, I can't save myself. I can't fix myself. You got to take over. I think the simplest prayer is, God, please save me from me. I repent. I don't even know how to change. Save me from me. Please save me to you. I'm desperate for you. A simple prayer from the heart saying, take a look. 